Hi, I'm Mark and welcome to the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with ARC360 corporate partners, Solera Auditex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, SNG Response and Sherwin-Williams, as well as our partners Aztec, the Green Parts Specialists in Darsa and Prasco UK. Please do check out any or all of these businesses for all of your automotive claims, repair or supply chain needs. So welcome along everybody to the ARC360 podcast where we catch up with some of the leading figures within the motor insurance claims sector. In this episode we catch up with Chris Brightmore, Director at Superbrand Vehicle Repair Operation Chartwells, who provides us with an insight into business from how it all began and working with some of the world's leading vehicle marks to impacts of the pandemic and what the future might hold. Chris openly discusses the key turn moments that have made the business what it is today and, not one to shy away from challenge, hints at a future full of potential. He also reveals how his career may have panned out very differently should he not have craved a cup of tea, but how music still plays a big role in his life. Enjoy the podcast. The market's changed, drastically changed. Um, so it is now a clearer division on those trying to get the, I'd say not smaller end, but the, the, the sort of repairs that don't need an approval can be passed under without too much complication, being sifted off to dealer groups and insurers. You can see that's apparent, and then you're left with this complicated stuff and it carries risk being shipped into the other type of repairs. And then I think there's this bit in the middle where everyone's having a big fight mm-hmm. to, try and, to try and get some sort of level of volume or some, some, some continuity to that. Um, I think it may change when the dealers get some product to sell. I think they're just trying to make a book. Yep. You can see that. I've, I've, I've lived through this before where they get involved and then when they realise the return on capital in body shops, nothing like a sales or a service department, they quickly drop it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment they will, they're trying to make a book. Yeah. Um, so I think it will pass. But um, all we're seeing is complicated, mm-hmm. expensive, um, which is a challenge as a business because we've got to rotate that. And you know, you know, 150, 200 hour jobs takes them getting through the site. Gosh, that's really good. And that's not, you know, it's not uncommon. Most of our repair work's 100 hours. Yeah, that's our norm is 100 hours. Wow. Yeah, so and that's, and that's not that we're being, oh, we've got all this time to spend. We <laughs> yeah. haven't. What we've got is um, big jobs. Some seriously complex yeah. jobs. Yeah, 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 indeed. We are trying our best to make, because we do need that, 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 that fluidity of having a 10, 15, 20 hour job yep. just to keep that, that, that movement. And we have been fortunate that we've picked up a couple of, because some dealers have gone one way into what it works, other dealers have shut all their shops. So we've been fortunate in some hands and not so fortunate in the others. But we have picked up a lot of Mercedes work, direct work uh, from dealers, which is helping us yep. fill those gaps. So 20 years heading up, Charles. Oh, indeed. Oh, indeed. <laughs> Funny if we were talking about it, because obviously um, Mark was involved at 25 years. He came in, it was um, it was the Gibbs family and the business, and it was called Books and Garages Limited okay. in the day. Been in Derby since 1966. So along, uh, Mark got involved because he was a paint rep, and he was dealing with Pete, and Pete asked him if he'd come in and get involved, which he did. And then about five years later, we met at a, an awards ceremony. No, we had, a, we had a, a BMW event and I was on the same table as him and I won him a watch, if I remember correctly, which you remember <laughs> before. So he approached me and said, would you be involved? Um, and we cooked up an arrangement and that was, well, that was 20 years ago. 
so from that point on, I remember sitting in the chair and then Mark saying, no, there's, this is Charlton, and he went off to do a building company he'd got. A few months later, he just turned and said, we're going to build this, and he produced a picture, which is a hand-drawn picture of this building. Which is what we set into this? I'll show you a picture, it's right. just outside. Hand-drawn picture of this building, says, and he went, he said, we're going to build that. I said, oh, are we? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> and uh, this was all railway sidings, there was nothing here. Nothing, none of this was here. The only thing that was here wow. was Geldard's and was Parkway, Geldars and Norsworth. There was nothing else on Pride Park in the state. There was nothing else here. So off the, off the journey the journey started and we uh, we were fortunate. In fact, it wouldn't have been possible if it, it's all about risk in life. One risk made it possible, which was, and I can't take credit for this, although I did have sleepless nights over it. The developer needed to secure the land from Bombardier. Right. He hadn't got enough money. However, he needed to buy the whole piece to get any of it. There was no like piece merely had to buy the lot. So we didn't have enough. So we, by way of a loan <laughs> to the developer, secured this piece of land, one and a half acres on Pride Park. And then we had some very dark moments because as with all developers, they are they can be shady characters at best. So there's some dancing, they wanted to move us and then you can have this. And eventually we secured it after after the bank absolutely could not accept we just transferred half a million into somebody's account with no no Paperwork. No paperwork, full of risk. However, that made it possible to secure one and a half acres for just over 240,000, I think it was. That was the deal. So we got it at absolute cost. So that suddenly made everything very possible. So that, you know, you talk about a risk, that was a risk. Not one I would recommend. Um, so that made it possible. So then we built the site from the ground up. And, and 20, 18 years ago, we actually built it. And two and a half million in the day was a lot. Yes. And that's what this cost to put up with the equipment in the whole thing. Buy the land, build the building, stick the equipment in two and a half million. Um, and we pay our last mortgage payment off in about eight months. So wow. that's how quickly time passes. Goodness yeah. me. So, um, and along the way, it's been an interesting one. Because when we first moved in, the day we moved in, it was actually one of the dealer groups. I'm not mentioning who it was because it wouldn't be fair. But the chairman, who's now no longer with that company, was in here looking around and he said, he says, you know, I remember the quote, it was along the lines, we don't do frills, we do functional. And he sort of turned his nose up at it and thought it was a waste of time, walked out. And then about less than two weeks later, we suddenly lost our Aston Martin approval. As quick as that, definitely two connected. So all of a sudden we stepped into the building, no Aston Martin support, Jaguar followed soon after, and we were left in this big building with all the guys. Wow. It's all, all changed and recovered since then, obviously, but those are the moments we go. We've just moved into this, all this around your neck. And I remember sat in front of the technician, so that's all going on. The technician's 10 guys in front of me going, look, it's a fabulous new place, guys. Let's tuck in. And, and I remember one particular technician who's still with his turn around and says, this is all right for you, but you're going to work us to bloody death to pay for this, aren't you? <laughs> Motivation went to the floor. And you're going, hang on a minute. We just put you in a brand new building. All the latest, in the day, the singing and dancing equipment, and you're telling me that that's where your motivation levels are. <laughs> they were absolutely all of them switched off. Get on my name. The foreman under his noticing, who then subsequently brought it back. Oh, boy. So all those challenges are a long way, but you just, um, you, I think you learn to be resilient, and you learn that the road is never flat. There's ups. As quick as you've got an up, you'll have a down. You just learn to, to go with it. And as time passed, we were very lucky that we had, we opened a few events here for manufacturers, um, which then led on to other manufacturers. Um, we got friendly with somebody um, in Mercedes who went to Ferrari, and then that got us an into a Ferrari about 18, or even that's 16 years ago. 
So we became Ferrari approved, Aston Martin, which got bought out by a different dealer group. So Aston Martin came back, we got Jaguar back. Um, and it's from there, it's sort of gone and gone on, gone on from there, really, to where we are today. But it, we've always been sort of targeting that prestige end, but uh, it's not an easy road. Not quite the smooth no, journey no, no, you no. would... Uh... No. If you if you turned up here today, you'd look and think. Well, we've had some cool. we've had some horrific, horrific moments, really. <laughs> um, we really have. I mean, Tesla, Tesla. We took Tesla on. We, that was a tough decision in the day because we took Tesla. I think we were one of the first two. This is going back some years now. Yep. And it was great. We were literally getting wall to wall Teslas. It got so to the level where we had a, a recovery company which we we partnered with and did a lot of work with them. Every day they were here two, three times a day. Um, it got so to the level where Tesla noticed that our recovery company were really good. So they said, oh, can we use you? That was it. Never got a look in again. Lost it. They were literally transporting Teslas from that point on. So we had to resource and get that in place. We had yards full of Teslas, couldn't get parts. And it was one of those moments we just looked and stood by and went, if we don't make a decision now, mm-hmm. we are not going to retain some of the other brands. So do we want to keep this brand because it's going to kill the other brands? Yep. And we terminated. Did you? We terminated and everyone else was trying to get on. Interesting. Interesting indeed. So then, then subsequently, the months after, people were going, we're here, you're on Tesla, what's your thoughts? So we've terminated. <laughs> Why have you terminated? Because it's not fitting what we do anymore. It's, it's absolutely suffocating the business. And I've heard of other people saying similar things going, you know, going forward. Um, so that was a tough, tough decision, but absolutely the right one to make. Absolutely the right one yeah, for you within, within, within eight business. weeks, it was absolutely apparent we made the right decision. You know, they filtered out, and then it, as as all things do, the vacuum filled. Cars arrived. We had all the other brands coming back online. We picked up Lamborghini. We picked up McLaren, which we'd had for a long time, but we we sort of reinstated it, um, which was again was another reinstated even further during COVID. Right. So it, um, it was a tough decision on the day, but absolutely, absolutely. Some bold, brave decisions in there from the very outset, really. But as you say, you know, Well, we did something with the terminated BMW, not because we didn't believe in the brand or the product, but we had to let it go. Yeah. It wasn't going to fit anymore. And we've done that three times, four times we've done that. And you're far more now, you know, it's super brand centre. Yeah, I mean, super brand, where does that line draw, I suppose? But we, we tend to, if you took seven, the seven brands that we, we are heavily trained for, heavily invested into, and we have been with for a long, long, long time, mm-hmm. and we maintain that. Some of them cross over, so the VAG group, so the Porsche, the Bentley, the Lamborghinis, very, very close similarities, although they're different, and then you've got your Italian stuff, and then your German stuff. And then we'll, we've looked after Aston Martin for forever. Aston Martin, Mercedes and BMW is probably our longest lasting brand right. associations. Um, and as, as I said, BMW is no longer with us, but uh, Mercedes and Aston Martin certainly are. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. So, you've obviously got some kind of, I'd imagine, as most uh, repairers do, interesting stories, anecdotes about uh, whether it be specific vehicles coming, customers. Um, and obviously being the type of repairer that you are, is there any that you can share? No can names t- mentioned. I can tell you a couple of interesting ones, and, and Rod Stewart may still us for this, but so be it. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you for this. This is a, this is a, just a cute one. We had a red Enzo appear in the yard, and that's all Enzo's appeared. And you never see famous people as a rule. And then uh, it was one of the technicians said, I know his car, but he says, how do you know his car it is? He says, because... 
there's this pair of knickers off, hanging off the uh, wing mirror, the, the uh, windscreen mirror. I says, well, who's that? I says, Rod Stewart. He says, you, you go check it out. Rod Stewart always hangs a pair of knickers off his, his rear view mirror. And sure enough, it turned out to be, it turned out to be his car, yeah. <laughs> so that was quite a, quite a shocker moment. But generally speaking, you don't, you don't see too many famous people. It, they tend to be dealt with by somebody else. But we've had, we've had the old famous footballer walking here. Yeah. Um, one of the more recent ones was a, a key Villa player who happened to put his Euros through a schoolyard, which is not a politically correct thing to do. So that came out of... Uh, that, was, that wasn't too long ago. So we, they were out watching them on telly and they said, well, we know what you've done with your car. You just put it through a school gate. Oh, I know, terrible, terrible, really. Terrible, really. That's the footballers for you. I suppose the biggest, biggest interest point would be is, is just getting to meet people that you wouldn't normally cross with. Like there, we have Shmee. He's an acquirer. Nice. Yeah. So he's an influencer. And you, meet, you see the character online and then he, he, he appears and you're talking to him as a normal person. Which he is, and the two are, you know, intrinsically different. He's, really? he's, he's, um, he's quite, he's very knowledgeable, loves his cars, he's mm. really into his detail, but you can see how professional he is at producing what he produces. Yeah. You know, he spends hours producing each section. You'd think it was off the cuff, but when you see it on the other side, he's, he's just spends so much time making sure it's absolutely on his brand. And that's been interesting because he's brought some fabulous projects. And we've done a few influencers now because they tend to want to be involved with expensive cars. Yeah. As, as yet, they've all been absolutely delightful, I have to say. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. Sort of give me a different view on it, really. But particularly to me, I, once I appreciated the amount of hours he puts into travelling around to produce content, mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I was less um, offended by influencers. <laughs> I sort of thought, oh, of course, that's what you're doing every day to produce that content and storyline and narrate it and deliver it. Poof, fair play. But they make it look so easy, don't they? Yeah, they that's do the thing. When you see the finished thing. product... That's the thing. The finished product uh, looks like it's been done casually. Yeah. I but think that's the magic, really. Absolutely. Making, that, making that's what it's like ducks, isn't it? Ducks are calm on the water, but the legs are doing ten to the dozen. It's nice to it's nice to meet interesting people. That's great. So, in in terms of that, and that probably links with probably what what you've just said. But what makes working with the top end brands and vehicles so unique? Apart from them all being extremely different. Yep. Yep. Um, and, and, and I mean this in the nicest possible way. The German brands are completely different to the Italian brands, are completely different to the English brands. Okay. Uh, in the way they manage, the way they deal, the way they talk, the way they, their expectations, the, you know, the absolute chalk and cheese. Um, Ferrari, I'll take as an example because it reminds me of one little story. We had a warranty issue, which was on a particular vehicle. And I remember, and we happened to be in Italy at the time, talking to the guy that heads up warranty and parts. And we got the chance to discuss this particular case. And in a typical, as if I'm in a movie, he just uh, put his hand out to his side and says, ah. He says, We're family, we share. And that was it. Close of course, that's it, conversation <laughs> over. <laughs> and it was just, uh, it was almost like a godfather moment. And I mean that in the nicest possible way, but it was, that's it. We're not talking about it. You've got a bit of pain, we've got a bit of pain. That's it, we're done. Okay. <laughs> yes. Whereas, uh, you know, the German brands, with something goes wrong, you've got uh, four lawyers and uh, an interpreter on your doorstep in seconds. And that's just, that's just their way. They like to be precise and they want it exactly right. But the, it, it, it is an interesting thing having the different brands. But I think the unique bit is to remember you are dealing with a brand. So if you're dealing with a, a brand like Ferrari or Porsche or Lamborghini, that intrinsically you have a responsibility to protect the brand. Yep. There's no way out of it. If there was a fault with the brand, 
There isn't. You cannot, cannot go against the brand. So you have to. You kind of have to accept your position in there. However, as long as you respect their rules and, and you're happy to work with them under those terms, working with brands is quite good. Mm. I wouldn't say it's cheap. I wouldn't say it's easy. But it does have its rewards. But you really, really have to recognise that uh, you are representing somebody else's brand. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're all they're all slightly different in what they consider their brand should be represented like. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And the same, same with the, you know, the Bentleys and the Aston Martins and, you know, all the UK-based stuff. Um, it's all the same. Very, very precious about their brands mm. and how they're represented. So within that, you've got to sort of find your own place. And you've, you yourselves, if I, I assume, have got to, well, you have got to be a strong brand in your own right. <laughs> yeah, some of that may be learnt behaviour. Um, we've always been very, very careful to make sure we don't lose sight of chart. Well, we did used to display all the brand logos and uh, and about 15 years ago we said, we need to stop doing this. We need to be chart well. Yeah. We represent brands, but we need to maintain our brand because the danger is um, some of those brands could be transient. You know, you, you start to lose your own identity. Who are you? Mm-hmm. But it's important. Yeah, it's absolutely. important you maintain your own brand. And I think that's probably one thing we've, we've always tried to master is keep our sense of who we are and over the years we've noticed we produce a brand logo or a strap line we'll get away with it for two or three years and then we'll see it appear <laughs> and we know it's appeared because you know we've got the timelines of everything we've done and you go oh that was our local change our brand strap line again change it again we had about five or five or six different changes on our brand strap line so the current one is setting the gold standard since 1966. Yep. And I've already seen somebody saying setting the standard. So it didn't take long. It took about two years and someone's now saying setting the standard. So you just see it translate. A problem brand's face. There you go, you see. You are one in your own right. So I always remember um, some years ago, we were just talking about my, my last visit when I came to the Varda Centre, which we'll move on to. But um, you told me Chartwell faces the very same problems, challenges, mm. Opportunities, I suppose, um, that other repairers do, only magnified in terms of scale due to the type of business you operate. But does this remain true, or has anything changed? Has that got kind of better, worse? I don't know. It's um, it's probably heightened the issues on both sides. I would say we 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 tend to get the more complicated work. Yep. Uh, particularly from manufacturers. So our problem is we may be able to recover more money. However, our own costs are greater. We have a greater investment. We have a greater parts, you know, cash flow issue because of the amount of parts we have to sort of move through the business. The more static cars, we've got a higher level of skill level on the technicians, so we tend to have to pay a little bit more. So all those things are going on. If you were going to a different part of the market, um, you can you can process things a little bit more. You can move certain levels of car through with that with less complication. You can you can repair over and place more often. You can you can basically move your cash flow quicker. You can even risk a better customer experience because you know three or four days is very different to three three to four months. So they just they're becoming very apparent. They are very very different business models. And I don't think a shop that would generally deal in um, the ten to fifteen hours would deal with 50, 60 hour jobs as well yeah. because they'll end up being an aggravation to them. We deal in everything big, smaller stuff, you know, it is a, it, it, we need to move it through quickly. Our challenge is, is making sure it goes through in three days and yeah. not part of another process and take seven days. You know, we have a different challenge on the other side, um, but they are very different businesses. Yep, yep. And I find that so interesting, the way 
the industry, the sector is segmenting, evolving, continues to evolve. I mean, it's, it, it always has. More, more so since reasons. the last, this, and since COVID, I think it's become more so. I think it, 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 it's highlighted some, some challenges and some changes within the industry. So insurers are more proactive about, certainly some of them, about making sure the right job goes to the right place, whether that's their own shop or somebody else's. Dealer groups are seeing the opportunity in, in saying, well, we can deal with the smaller stuff internally. Yep. Let's do it. Um, and, it, and then you've got to, the number of groups that are sort of, sort of forming and organising and, and they, I presume they desperately want something they can process and organise and systemise and make sure it goes through in a fluid manner and that they're investing into that process. Mm. And then you get to, I suppose, the, the, the niche side of it, which is the stuff that you don't see too much of, the technical side of it, the heavy welding, the heavy jigging. You know, I've had repairers in here that come around and say, we don't, we're not, we don't take our jig out. We've, yep. got, we've got three on the floor at any one time. And neither one's right or wrong, they're just a different animal. And I think, I think that's becoming probably recognised even by the ones that take on, would normally take anything on. I'm seeing more and more repairers saying, well, we'll not do that, we'll mm -hmm. deal with that. And they're sort of turning right away. Um, so I just think it's heightened it a little bit more and emphasised the difference. Interesting stuff. Now, Varda, we mentioned, so you've always been, and for good reason too, an advocate of precise damage assessment. And I remember the introduction of the Varda Centre some years ago, um, which was kind of really eye-opening for me. We've just had another look just now and things have evolved even more. So how has that approach evolved? Um, and just tell us a little bit more about thoughts and practices there now. For what we do, it's, fun, it's absolutely fundamental. We cannot move forward until we've done this little bit to the front end. Now, I'm not saying it fits, it's necessary for everybody. However, given the, given the type of vehicle we repair and the, the size of repair we do, we cannot afford to step forward on a mistake mm -hmm. or, or misunderstanding or, or, or miss an error in diagnosis. So we've now, not only, we used to just have a, um, the estimator go in and be able to get it on a ramp and a technician would take a few bits off and that was fine for a while but what you started to get is you get some technicians are better than others some estimators are you know better than others and you get you start to get variation in the result so we've now invested into we took the best technician on, on site which is quite a risk at the time and moved him to be into the, the, the Vader room and he basically brings everything in strips it diagnoses it researches methods so you know exactly what can and can't be done he does all the system checks it, it produces the technical portfolio of what's possible with his car and then it does all the parts uh, identification because a lot of it's not on how it takes and then the uh, estimator will then take that body of work and he'll commercialize it and put it across the numbers and, and, and sell it but what that does is it gives us a consistency that we can go to a person and say okay then we've had some errors in this area did we need to strip that further did we need to do x y and z he can then access the technicians relevant to each brand if he needs to get a little bit of a second opinion and it's given us a consistent flow of as soon as something's on site he's not he's not he's not asking for permission he knows he's got to diagnose his cars in preparation so he's he's getting this routine going where he's getting the cars ready in a safe state in a and I mean from a from a, uh, a danger point of view in terms of it, is it electric, is the fuel leaking, has it got sharp edges, yep. but also is it got is it dry, is it secure, we're going to cause any further damage to the vehicle in storage, and there's all that in preparation for it to go into the workshop. If we don't do that, we can't load the workshop correctly, mm. we can't order the right parts, and some of these parts are non-returnable on order, so we're talking, you know, headlamps, four, five, six thousand pound. Wow. You don't want to be getting too many errors in your process of order to get to that point. It heavily involves the parts um, team as well, 
but predominantly what we've done is we've said, okay, this is a specialism. It's more akin to a technician's knowledge than it is to an estimator's knowledge. Mm-hmm. And we need somebody to dovetail between the two to make sure that the methods and the methodology, the process, the time, the understanding is there so the estimate is not just, well, it looks around, yep. hours, it looks around this. I think my best guess is all from my experience. Those words are a little bit dangerous nowadays. Mm. My experience doesn't count for anything anymore. You know, one model change or change the material type or suddenly your experience isn't worth anything. Incredible, incredible way to work it. Reverse engineering, it's like yeah, um, and, it's, and it, wor- it, it works. It works for, for for us as a business. That's not to say you don't get errors because you always will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what we're trying to do is to try and minimise that initial planning stage. Like it's probably is the planning stage. So that that shop car's going to come into the workshop. It needs this many hours. It needs this resource, and it needs to go into this this fashion. It's just, um, and I know people. Some people say we well, would just get it in and like the technician strip, and then do a parts order off the back of it. That's fine. Yep. If you, I think that's fine if you've got the bays to spare, because that's what's going to happen. You're going to park cars for a while, strip while the while the parts arrive. Mm-hmm. But it works. It really works for us. Mm-hmm, and, it, and it's good from an insurance point of view that you can, when we do, say, say we've got something with a pretty large bill on it, not in, in compared to the value of the car, yeah. but in, in isolation, it maybe have to go up to a, a senior or head of department to be signed off. If we're producing a wheel alignment, a, a systems check, imagery of strip, fit, a full detailed parts list, you you know and, and all the all the other a and what what could be anomalies and you've got it on a piece of paper and it's already been done and confirmed you're less likely to get um, a, a total loss decision mm-hmm. yep. you're more likely to get okay then this looks pretty safe to it and it's all about risk it's safe for the insurer to step into that arrangement and is there a a, a very difficult question but uh, is there an average time one of these upfront assessments takes? It's linked to hours, but if you were just bringing something that's standard, say, let's say a 15 hour job that needs a bumper head lamp and the back beam's gone and you may have a radiator out, that probably taking 35 minutes, yep. 40 minutes. If something's coming and it's the side out, the suspension's off, it's, it's um, I don't know, something like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or a McLaren, you could be in there two to three hours mm. easily because there's so much dismantling to do. Because you can't, you need to dismember, disassemble the whole car to get identify every part. Mm. Because mm. there's no there's no facility to go and do a ticker screen, ticker screen. Nor is it greatly on some of the other stuff. If you take a Porsche, you know the difference between a, a standard KN and a Turbo S. The parts list is vastly different, and it's the same car. Same in, we've had it with two, we had two black KN standard, a standard KN and we had a Turbo S, took the front bumpers off, both hit in the front end, they're both tow bar punches, one of those funny moments, and the difference, it was like 15, 20,000 difference in parts prices across the two, because this one's got intercoolers, turbo yeah. coolers, all slashed on the front and it took them all out, whereas this one, I think it just clipped the uh, condenser and that was it. And I suppose it really, when, when you are seeing these things on a day-to-day basis, you have that comparison, if you like, and yeah. awareness. Yeah, and that's, that's the anomaly, really. So, and, and that's the danger that you can step into. We, we start to repair, and technician takes the bomb prop and off and parts and missing straight away. Because from experience, you would have gone, oh, well, the last one we did was only that. Yeah. Crack on. Cool. Goodness me. So vehicle technology um, continues to evolve rapidly. <laughs> you know. um, what are you sort of starting to see at the top end and what are the knock-on implications? I mean, we've just had a very quick walk around and we've had a little chat about carbon fibre, which you saw 20 years Vanquish ago. Vanquish 1 was um, the first time we got involved with carbon fibre, yeah. Wow, 
Incredible. And, and you know, it's, it's prevalent down there. You know, a few of the cars we've seen, well, more than a few of the cars we've seen, but, you know, that kind of stuff now is... As, well, multi-materials, the, 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 the platform of choice, isn't it? Mm. There's not many cars that stick to a single material base now. So, you know, even your mainstream's got steel, aluminium, SMC, composites, carbon fibre built into the body structure. So it's the days of it being one or the other, I can only think of Ferrari, perhaps, that's the only one that's sticking to a carbon, uh, to an aluminium structure in the majority of its vehicles. Wow. Yeah. The rest are aluminium, carbon, SMC, steel. And beyond the structure, um, EVs, we've, we've seen a lot of those down there, a lot of talk in the industry at the moment. EVs, um, uh, I'm a little bit alarmed about EVs, not because anybody can't do them, but there's a, there's a distinct lack of training available at the moment. Mm. I think that may be because of um, what we've been through in the last two or three years. Because while, while um, COVID's restricted training, it certainly hasn't restricted the, the um, supply of electric vehicles. And then the difference in the electric vehicles. And I think that's probably a bigger concern for me is there is no standardised approach to an electric car. Yep. So when someone says, oh, I've got a generic EV training, it does worry me a little bit. I'm not saying that someone doesn't understand the principles of, a dif- of EV, but approaching, say, a Taycan against a, a Lexus, yep. very, very different experience. A Lexus is very, very straightforward. A Taycan isn't. And there, there's the subtle differences. And the power output on the Taycan against, a, a, say, a Lexus is hugely different. 800 volts, I think, the Taycan is running out. It's not the only one. I've seen more and more 800 volt vehicles appearing. The difference with the, I think it's just late 700s, the DC gets the ability to jump. Right. So it arcs. So it starts to arc to 20 centimetres, 30 centimetres, and the greater the power, the greater the, the ability to arc. So if you're, if you're in a position where you're a suitable earth, you're it. Risk at the top end, you might say. I've seen, I've seen sufficient um, social media out there to suggest that people are repairing take-ins and that they've got panels off the car, they're next to the charge point, which is hanging over the suspension. It's all, it's all blessed in orange. Yes, it might be, but you don't have to nick that cover. Mm-hmm. that orange seal you know you are, you are in a risk area and each component on, on um, higher output cars is also holds its own charge so you have to decharge each component so each motor has to be decharged you have to literally any component that, forgive me for not knowing the full list but it takes about two hours to decharge a take on battery off components shut down and then you take a reading to make sure everything's decharged because even the, even the charge held within the motor is sufficient to, to take you out. So if you just took the battery out of action because you think you know what you're doing, then you go for the motor. Goodness it's me. too late. You've already, the motor's already holding charge. And it's those sorts of things. And I, and I don't know every electric vehicle. I know that um, we do... At, at the top end, the Ferraris, you know, the, the SF9, SP9, is it? 1,000 brake horsepower. It's battery. Big battery inside it. Wow. This is, this is, this is pretty normal now. Mo- most cars that come in this site now are... are some sort of EV involved. Hmm. Have you had to change the premises in any way, shape or form to keep these vehicles charged alive? We're on our third generation of electric charge points. So we started with early to plug-in, yeah. which was basically a, a plug. We then upgraded, with, I think it was with Tesla, to some wall mounts that turned out to be Tesla-specific connections, and they were 7 kilowatts. We're now on our third generation, which had just gone in recently which are 22 kilowatts and they're a universal plug the interesting thing about power is we've got two we've got three 22 kilowatts on site okay and i've been taught this and i said oh, we've got a massive board we've got our own substation this should be great this is now so you bought 100 kilowatt 
It says when you do a charge point, it's 22 kilowatts. It's 22 kilowatts permanently moment it's plugged in. So your board loses 22 kilowatts of capacity. Right, explain. So you've got two, you've lost 44 kilowatts of capacity. It says, so you've got to think about your businesses and your lights and your, it says we're going around places now and we're realising they have got way, way, way too low capacity into their site wow. to do it. So if you wanted to go for the super, like 40 kilowatt, you start to go a bit higher, you can quickly see how quick, how difficult that, that will become. So we've got these two 22, three to 22 kilowatts, but we know we could only run one at one time because the likelihood would start shutting the, the boards down. Yeah. We can upgrade, but you know, in a business this side, changing the whole master board is quite a take on, really. And then, so we've done that, and I've now just done the last upgrade, which I'm waiting to go in, which is to have um, uh, pod points yep. on, um, on the outside of the building. And this is only because I know what's coming next. There's employees, I've been asked once, is it all right if I plug my car in? Yeah, it's fine. However, do you know how much electricity actually costs when you do that? And I think there's a realisation now. I know some dealer groups have been doing, they've been instructed to make sure all their electric cars go out on charge. And the engineer that came here to install was telling me a little tale about they, they'd had a bill in excess of £30,000 because they were charging every single car fully before it went out. Wow. When you start adding that up, 22 kilowatts for four hours, mm-hmm. you know, if you're doing that a lot, Goodness me. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't, half, doesn't half mount up. I think it was an inverter well of 30 kilowatts, something like that, but it only spikes, it's only a short burst. So well, we're just, we're just on this last round, and yeah. I'm pretty sure, I know in the future, and I don't think it'd be that too far away, that we will have to do a upgrade on our master board to make it a 200 kilowatt board or a 300 mm-hmm. kilowatt board to give us sufficient, sufficient supply. Infrastructure challenges. For sure. Well, I think I think that's I think that's but everyone's the, faced I with it. That's the world's problem at yeah. the moment. Is where does all the power come from? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, it, you could go on and on about uh, the, the EV situation, but um, I think technology will resolve itself shortly. Yes. Yeah. I think there's more than just electric cars on our doorstep. Mm-hmm. What qualities sit at the very heart of Charwell? Yes, you're a super brand repairer. You do what you do. You need to invest in team to maintain these approvals. You know, there's there's a lot of money goes into the business. But what do you think sits at the very heart of the business? Um, you mentioned risk right at the outset as well. You know, where where does it lie? I'll take you back twenty years. Hmm. Okay, so around twenty years ago, um, there was a fundamental change in, in the way the business operated. And it came to down to a simple statement. And uh, at the time, all the technicians were gathered together, and it was um, the statement was this simple: Today we stop being a bonus shop. Today we now only deal in quality. If you don't want to be in a shop that only deals in quality, now is the time to make decisions and go. And that statement may never be left. However, it was an absolute clear line in the sand that we will no longer be paying time saved. We're no longer interested in bonuses. It, in terms of just just because you think you can get around the corner and all the rest of it goes on with that. So we became a quality shop. And from that day on, the whole premise behind the business has been about quality, care and excellence. And that's our underlying sort of drivers. Mm-hmm. Okay, those three things. Quality is a given. We can't, we can't promote quality. Yep. It's an absolute given. If you can't deliver that, there's no point talking about it. Care, you need to care about everything that you're doing and, and the people that you're dealing with. And then we're always in pursuit of excellence. So we're always looking, did we do that as well as we possibly could? We have, still have loads of tears at bedtime when people, you know, you say, you'll get something that's slightly off colour, the technician's going to have a meltdown, and then, you, you know, well, no, 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 and you hear all the noise, and you just have to say, but is it right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but, no, is it right? 
and then they just you can see that it just drushes off the face and they go yeah fair enough this is not a lot of point doing it any other way so a tower costs sometimes we'll go past what we need to we'll go and do more than we need to and what i mean by that is if we're an insurance company won't agree a blend to a level that we think is sufficient or it won't accommodate the fact that it's got a chip halfway up the bonnet yep we'll do it anyway hmm. just because we can't afford to not give that level of quality as a given show that we care and, and, and sort of give that sense of excellence so someone who's, somebody's dealt with is one to just feel like they've just had the best experience they possibly could yep so if you want to know what we're about it's simply that however Every day, every level, and everything that's extremely difficult to, 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 to maintain. You know, what might seem simple often isn't. You know, um, so everything we talk about is around that, that premise. That's not to say that we don't operate um, a reward system in the shop. We do. Mm-hmm. We're interested in moving hours. We're interested in their productivity. We're interested in their efficiency. But it's it's, it's now dovetailed very cleanly that if there is any downside, it's a, it's, it's a penalty. You know, it's, it's expensive for not only us, but the technicians and everybody else involved. Mm-hmm. The CSI's fed to everybody. The team's rewarded on all those sorts of results. And and with that, as a business, as a as a culture, how do you kind of knit all that together behind the scenes? I, I think it's more about how you how, how you operate yourself. So myself and Mark, particularly, uh, you'll see us walk past the toilet, and if the sink's dirty, we'll clean it. Mm. If a walk-in is a litter on the front, we'll pick it up. If there's a ball battle, we'll change it. You know, you don't. You just you don't allow that. Um, I, I was just by a, a lovely man I worked for many many years ago, and he said this to me about keeping your workshops clean and everything else. And I said it's so difficult. So he says, let me put it in a different way. You know, when you walk in a park and there's no litter, there's no litter, is there? He says, no, no. Do you, do you know why there's no litter? Because you don't allow one piece of litter to land. Because as soon as there's one. There'll be two, there'll be three, there'll be four. And you know, he, he kind of, and, and the best way is if you see a, a park that's got the bins are all full, you can guarantee there's going to be a litter on another mm-hmm. park. Yep. And it's one of those. So I, I sort of took, I took his message a little bit, I thought, I get what you're saying. So we just try not to let it happen. So if, the, if, if, this scene, if you see it sort of eroding and getting untidy, we'll clean it, we'll sort it entirely. And some people, when they first join us, they don't get this. They think we're being, you know, we can't keep a workshop clean, we're working in it. It's, you're missing the point. I think it's so Going to an Indian restaurant, say, the Indian restaurant might be fabulous, and you go through the toilet door and it looks like you just walked into Beirut. Suddenly the food doesn't taste as nice, does it? Oh, so true. Oh, so true. <laughs> and I have to say, spot this now and there on the shop floor, on the work floor. We, we paint, we decorate, we employ full-time cleaners, we, you know, we, Again, it's not it's not an easy thing to do, and, and and I come back to the very simple point: quality care and excellence. If we can't keep our workshop clean, we're not going to stand a chance of making anything else possible. Yep. We can't maintain our booze at the right time. If we can't do the things that matter, you can't expect the the, the end result. If you can't get your workwear for your technicians to make sure they're always clean, tidy, dressed smart, you're not going to get the end result. Interesting stuff. So you personally, 20, 20 years on, in the, hot, in the hot seat here, what kind of, you know, keep, keeps you driven, inspired, motivated and, and you know, within Chartwell and, and all other things you do? It's a good question. I think above all, I've got a good working, myself and Mark obviously run and own the business, let's say, but we've got a good working relationship and, and I think I've been fortunate in life, whether this is his good fortune or my good fortune, 
we've got the skill sets we need at the opposite end of what we do. Right. Yep. But they both go to the same place. It's made it's made working very pleasurable at times. Challenging. And I'm also a character that um, I, I just like I like to do stuff. If you ask me what I did yet, I'm not, I'm not a little little uh, interested in knowing what I did yesterday. Right. Which can be, you know, some talk to me, what have you done? Oh, if you ask me what I've done, I have to stop and go, you're telling me what I want to do, or what I want to do, or what, what's on my to-do list. I'm, oh yeah, I've got this to do, I've got that to do. So I'm always about what's to be done and not what has been done. And this business has been, it's been quite a challenge and remains so. There's always something more interesting to do. There's always somewhere else to go. There's always something better to do. And that's the best way I can describe it, really. I've never, I, I guess I'm just... I just enjoy. I'm just enjoying the journey. Really, genuinely, am. Good. Um, maybe that's because I've seen, you know, you see your parents retire. I've seen so many. I've, I've seen people in the industry planning their retirement at forty. I've never not the thought of retirement just fills me with dread. But there's always something to do, and it's always interesting. There's always purpose. There's always, and uh, I think when you've been together as a group of people as well, what some of us have been well together 20, 20 years plus. Yeah. We have we have we have a very strong relationship, which which gives you some benefits in the fact you don't have to ever explain yourself. People know what you're about. Mm-hmm. They know a look means we're not going any further with that, and they know you know. But they also trust you. They respect you. They know that you you're good for what you say. So you, it does afford you some luxuries as you get as you get older. <laughs> there I say. I was listening to an audio book on the way here. Uh, Relentless. I don't know if you listened to it. You fall straight into the cleaner category there, I think, uh, along with uh, Michael Jordan. So uh, okay. that'd be a compliment to you. Uh, but uh, if anyone's not listened to that, it's well worth a listen. So what does the future look like for Chartwell? When I come back in five years, when I see sort of data scientists and, and robots and, and EVs uh, everywhere? Very possibly. We, we, do, we need to change some of our skill sets, which is um, we're trying to work on now. We do need a different level of intelligence in different areas. I think everybody's going to suffer that one. I mean, we have got we have got other businesses wrapped around what we do, um, and, and they are potentially going to overtake this somewhat. However, this is sort of um, this is our prep. This is our baby, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I'm not saying they won't come a day where we'll exit. I'm not saying they won't come a day where somebody will show an interest. Um, all those things, you know, you should plan for anyway, just to be just to be healthy. Absolutely. But for now, we've got some polishing to do. We have got some uh, brand development to do. Right. We need to be we need to be further up that um, tree, I would say. But for the moment, it's um, after a tough couple of three years. I think we're just trying to enjoy a, a calmer period. Mm. I'm not saying we're going to get that. I suspect this year we'll have some more turmoil. <laughs> but I think it's one of those is just just recovering, catching yeah. your breath before we go again. But we are redeveloping the site. We oh, yeah. are we're about to just put some new. Um, completely redo our tool storage toolboxes and, and those sorts of areas um, and we're investing into some new equipment we think we're okay with the booze but I don't think too long before we're ripping those out right. um, I mean, they're 18 years old goodness me I know yeah. they don't look it but they are they are getting on the top side of it so we've got all those things to plan for so I, I suspect in the next year to two years maybe a touch longer but we're going to have to do a, um, a full overhaul of some of the major equipment which is, yeah, it's a serious undertaking. You never know, we might move and start again. <clears throat> okay, uh, you heard it here first. Uh, we won't press any more on that one, but, um, well, fabulous to catch up with you. You know, amazing stuff. And we've got our quick-fire question round, so, uh, which we always like to run by people. So, 
What one thing might not many people know about you? My passion is playing guitar. Is it? Hmm. And uh, what type of guitar? Uh, well, I've just, I just, from a boy of, when I, I used to play piano, but at 40 and I switched to guitar because I, I thought at the time it would attract more girls. Shoot me for it, but that was the truth of it. And I had a copy, what they call a copy Les Paul. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I promised myself until, right, I said, when I'm 15, I buy a, a, an original 59 Les Paul. So anyway, I did it last. I did it. I did it last year. So I actually got um, a fifty-nine Les Paul last year. Did you? Yes. Oh, which is wow. which sits in my private job. I've got. I've got. I've got more guitars than I wish to comment on. I've got. I've got some pretty <laughs> pretty nice stuff. But the 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 fifty-nine and I bought it. Played it in the shop and I wasn't sure. But I thought, no, I've committed. So, but I got it onto my gear and it's absolutely, absolutely fabulous. It's been worth it. it oh. It's, it's the stuff of dreams. I, I appreciate it because I play guitar. I'm not sure anybody else would, but it's just absolutely awesome. Brilliant. And what's your genre? What music would you play? Uh, rock and blues, yeah. I guess, um, was would be the most likely I would pick up and play, only because that's the bands I used to play in. When I was okay. Yeah, yeah. So I used to play rock and blues. A bit of Gaelic, Irish folk rock I used to do. I did that for quite a while. Almost made it to Glastonbury, but I left the band three weeks before. Oh yeah, dear, I know, dear, I know. dear, the but, choices you make in life. Well, it was, this is the magic choice. My choice was, I remember playing a wonderful gig and I was telling the story at the weekend. In Doncaster, it was the Leopard, there was about 500 people, it was New Year's Eve um, party. The place was absolutely buzzing. Even I thought we were the best we'd ever been. And I just remember seeing the drummer before and he was, he was having some, some power to intend himself and all that was going on. And they went, Everyone's getting a little bit out of it, but we were fabulous as a band. And I just turned to my first wife, who wasn't then, but she tended to be my first wife, and turned her into her and said, Do you know what? I just want a cup of tea. And that was it. That was, that was my retirement from the band. I just knew I'd had enough. Well, why so I called it, walked away, because it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting. Well, he says, now heading up Jarwell for yes. the last 20 years. Um, here we go. So this might tie in nicely then. I don't know. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Something very different. I would be doing motorcycle tours around the world. Would you? Yeah, just? I would absolutely love to to do... Uh, I've done a little taster of it, but I would love to take people on group tours and travel different places in the world. Oh, lovely. So you obviously, you ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but I enjoy the planning of it and the delivery of it and the doing of it and getting yeah. to the places and, and sort of, yeah, we really, really enjoy it. Um, so that, that's what I'd love to do. My son's about to set off around the world in eight months in a, in a pickup truck to tour the world, so I'm quite amazing. Fantastic. So. You'll have to obviously fly out and meet him. At yeah, I think Montenegro, I'm going to meet him in Montenegro at some point. Oh, so. wow. Amazing. God, good on you. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen or received? Yeah, well... Probably, I think if you just to be very basic about it, if you can't buy well, you can't sell well. Mm, like that. Yes. Like that a lot. Okay, say no more. I think that says it all, actually. Separating yourselves from mm. the brands you're associated with, self driving vehicles. Um, should we ever get to that point? For you, yes or no, and why? I'm sort of middle of the road, depending on the circumstances, yeah. if I'm honest. Um, I think it, if if I was driving somewhere, I'd get bored. Yep. I'd actually want something to just engage me. If I was on a night out or uh, I was with good company I wanted to talk, I'd jump myself driving car. 
Perfect answer. Yeah. I think it is. I think it's fit for purpose, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's got it. I think in cities, I can see it being absolutely fit for purpose. Yeah. 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 Anything to stop talking to taxi drivers. <laughs> now, I've got a story about that, but uh, that will come another day. Um, fantastic to catch up with you. Thank you so much, Chris. It's pleasure. been a pleasure to see you again, catch up and have a look around the place. So, really appreciate it. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris as much as I did. So a huge thank you to Chris for taking the time to talk to us. It's great to be back out visiting people at their place of work, getting to look around and chat with not only those who appear on the podcast, but also some of those involved in making the business tick. So many thanks for listening. You've been listening to the ARC 360 podcast brought to you in association with Celera Autotex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance, S&G Response, and Sherwin-Williams, as well as partners, Aztec, the Green Parts Specialist in Darsa and Prasco UK. Take care, everybody. Catch up soon.